they they feel betrayed and you know they've tried to move on and then the, the venue reopening and no communication has really brought up a sour taste in them and they're, and they're disappointed. Today on Dirty Linen, we are continuing with the topic of Red Spice Road. Uh, if you haven't caught up with yesterday's episode where we spoke to Laura Dauphin, please have a listen. Laura is one of many people who lost their jobs at Red Spice Road restaurant in Melbourne in May, in the middle of the pandemic. So maybe you could say fair enough. The problem is that the restaurant is reopening without paying or making any kind of commitment to the staff that it sacked last year, many of whom are still owed thousands of dollars in entitlements. Today, we're chatting to Christian Price. Christian was the general manager of Red Spice Road, and we've been in touch quite a bit over the past year, Christian, just um, talking about the various steps along this journey. But welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad to finally have you on the show. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it's really great to have you here. Um, Christian, what I would love for you to do is just lay out the structure of Red Spice Road and tell us a little bit about the business as it was. Yeah, okay. So so I was, yeah, I was the group general manager for Apples and Pears Entertainment um, Group. So I looked after Burma Lane and Red Spice Road. So they did have two um, restaurants. Um, the structure was myself overseeing the operation of the venues um, from staffing, offer, and financials, um, a mixture of casual staff, full-time staff, and a four-five-seven skilled visa holders. And tell us about the restaurants. What were they like as businesses? Oh, so the restaurants, both Burma Lane and Red Spice Rose, were both thriving um, restaurants. Of course, Red Spice Rose signature restaurant with Melbourne's famous pork belly, um, three hundred seats, always hustling and bustling. You know, Friday, Saturday nights, we can do anything between. Uh, 400 to 600 covers, um, great for parties, uh, um, birthdays, functions. We have great function rooms, um, loyal customer base for 12 years, great database, a lot of returning customers. And just set it up for us. The restaurant had recently moved premises, right? Yeah, or Red did. Spice Road had moved. Yeah, we uh, at the time we were at McKillop, so we were there for 12 years. And that site was getting demolished and we moved over to Queen Street, um, a, a new two-storey um, level building, uh, could seat up to nearly 320 people and we opened up there in November. And how long had you been with the company, Christian? Three years. Yeah. So I reviewed the restaurant for my Sunday Age column last December, so December 2019. You did, when Mo was at the reins as head chef. Yeah, so um, Sunjan Mo, a chef from Korea, like highly talented. I mean, to run a kitchen, with the like the volume is just crazy, but also the creativity that she put into the food. She really, I guess, took the took the restaurant in a slightly different direction. It was launched by a chef, John McClay, who was, um, I, as I understand it, had left the restaurant three years ago and. Mo, I guess, you know, kept the famous pork belly, um, but also added uh, dishes, you know, with influences from all over Asia, you know, including her native Korea. So, I mean, a really quite incredible person at a young age to lead such a big team. Um, I guess, you know, I reviewed the restaurant and I spoke to you as part of my, I guess, background research for that review. And the thing that really struck me was the team culture that um, you played a big part in creating. 
I remember you speaking really fondly of the team, but also really enthusiastically about the kind of training that you um, that you laid out for people. Can you talk a little bit about the about the team and the culture that you created? Yeah, absolutely. The, the good thing that we had um, with uh, Red Spikes Road um, was um, loyalty. We had a lot of loyal team members who've been some of them have been there for, for over 10 years some of them from the beginning but it, it was really the, the the team work itself from a training point of view everybody was trained up in every single area um, they were passionate about the product um, every idea was heard and we tried um, everybody had um, from the chefs the junior chefs would be uh, putting things on the menus on the special boards from the bartenders being able to be creative and making their own cocktails and having their names on the menu, that really created that culture. And it really told that story about where the staff have come from, you know, from what parts of the world and were sharing their stories with the team. And of course, with the, um, the customers. And I remember you telling me, I can't remember, I must have asked a question about a cocktail or something. And you talked about, you know, a, a training session that you held where I think it was like drinks tasting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so so we did those always. So what we did, we always get the chef involved as well. So we have the flavor palettes of the food. So we have a few dishes um, where we actually taste the food and then we pair that with the drinks and really build the drinks based around the food. Um, so using those ingredients that are in the same dish and some of the cocktails and pairing that up. I think, you know, if I think about my experience in the restaurant, we were seated... Uh, I just came in with my husband. It's, it was like, you know, maybe a, a, like a Thursday or Friday night, a couple of weeks before Christmas. It was absolutely heaving. And there'd been so much interest in the new premises opening. And it was, it was lavish, like enormous high ceilings, incredible large artworks. Like it was it was big and bustling. And it, and it was an exciting opening for Melbourne. We were seated upstairs. And at a certain point, I felt like I wanted to be a bit more in the thick of the action downstairs. And so I spoke to the waiter who was looking after us and asked her if it was possible to move. Now, I think you can tell a lot about a restaurant when someone in the way that someone listens to you and tries to help. Um, it was probably a pretty annoying request. You know, we were partway through our meal, but she really just listened and did and made it happen. In a, in a super cheerful way, our our order was handed over, you know, with absolute precision and proficiency to the waiter who then looked after us. You could ask anyone anything about any item on the menu and they knew what they were talking about. They could explain it to you. And I just felt like this is a really well-drilled team and I felt that the, the team spirit was palpable. Yeah, yeah, you just said you're bringing back memories and <laughs> I've got goosebumps and it was, it was the way that they treated their customers and the philosophy was um, treating them like they're coming to your own home. And we did that very well. I think you did. And I mean, any restaurant probably reckons that that's what they're trying to do, but not everyone <laughs> succeeds. So I suppose what I'm trying to paint is a picture of um, a team that was really professional people coming you know staff from all over the world but there was a real sense that you were there trying to create something that you all believed in in a high volume environment as well yeah like the scale of it was is really ridic was ridiculous it was really yeah it was it was a machine but it wasn't it wasn't an unfeeling machine it was a machine that you know every sort of cog and and tentacle was imbued with the spirit and the feeling that everyone was there trying to create. So and it had that personal touch, you know, we were very well known for being able to cater for any dietary requirement, be it FODMAP, be it lactose free. It wasn't an issue. 
it was they were well trained and drilled and knew, and could deal with any sort of allergy and giving the style of dining you know no one felt um left out if you've got different dietaries you know you go to different restaurants it's quite obvious who's the vegan who's the vegetarian you're going to miss a course but our philosophy was that sharing family style that everybody still had that same um experience no matter what mm. so you know given all that talk us through the beginning of the pandemic and how that hit everyone so when when it first hit and we went down to those um capped numbers that was a, um, when we had the seven square meter rule that was already quite challenging and um that's already when you could see how the team spirit and how important it was when we had to look at shifts of people working and um you know the, the waiters the backpackers um would go themselves you know what i've actually made enough money this week to pay rent could you give my two shifts to x y and z because oh. they need it more than i do my god and, you know, things like that was that's already was in those stages was already quite heartbreaking but you could see the how they all looked after each other yeah really amazing and so how did things progress so from there um we then of course when the first stage of lockdown happened um we pivoted and i guess in 48 hours really tried to turn around into a takeaway model um and have as many team members as possible to assist with that um some of the the key visa holders of course we were trying um to keep them um working as um many days as possible we went down um, all the full timers we went down from 5 days to first 4 days and then 3 days a week and then i was um trying on a rostered basis trying to at least give the visa holders two shifts a week or three shifts a week and let them use their annual leave whilst they could um and then the casual staff where needed um again my priority was there the um student visas um to give them the hours as well so i think those first few weeks of lockdown were an absolute scramble for everybody and we didn't know what kind of government support was coming but then JobKeeper was announced and can you talk about the way that you sort of took that on and what what you uh what you tried to do from an office point of view to get yeah. that up and running so uh, well, as soon as they announced JobKeeper that was very exciting because we had a lot of loyal team members um not just full-time and casual who who were eligible for the JobKeeper payments so um working with the head office team getting that um all the paperwork ready the spreadsheets how many hours they can work on jobkeeper and really building um our takeaway business around that and utilizing these team members but um unfortunately um the company then decided that they couldn't um in advance fund the jobkeeper and wait for the re- um the government to give the money back which was quite heartbreaking and so it was at that point that you were told guys we're closing or what what, what yeah, happened yes so um it was a, f- a few things happened before that but again going back to um three days a week some of the staff um the reservations manager um who did all the website and everything working one day a week um the head chef working two days a week and the night um we were actually on a call i was in a boardroom for about 3 hours finalizing jobkeeper everything was ready to go that w- it was 6 pm i hung up 
and, and I went down to the team. Yeah, JobKeeper, we're lodging it tomorrow. And then the next morning at nine o'clock, um, the owner flew down and then gave us notice that we were all stood down. And who's the owner? Uh, so uh, the, the, the Andrew Cameron, but then um, Vanessa Green, who was the managing director, flew down and um, gave us the news. Um, and how did that strike everyone? Um, I was very, I, it was shocking because um, I got told then at nine o'clock in the morning where we were talking about JobKeeper the night prior that we were going to lodge it. Then at nine o'clock in the morning, I got the news. I then got the team in at 10 o'clock. Um, and then um, we gave the whole team the news that everybody has stood down for now um, and that further announcements will be made. That must have been so tough. I mean, because... It was, it, it, it was one of the things that I won't forget. It's one of, one of our junior sous chefs coming to me, Christian, you know, I'm on the sponsorship visa and my I haven't told anyone, but my wife is four weeks pregnant. Pregnant. What do I do? And it was there where, you know, my heart just broke and looking at everybody's faces you know, everybody's um, getting teared up. Um, I got teared up myself. Uh, yeah, and then it was literally packing up the venue and then leaving our laptops and keys and walking out. Oh my God, that's just, I'm, <laughs> I've got tears in my eyes. Yeah, it, well, it was pretty hard, especially, you know, knowing that everybody's tried so hard and put so much in. And then that, you know, the day prior that night, I said, announcement to all the team on Facebook job keepers sorted it's gonna we're lodging it tomorrow and and then you know not even 12 hours later a, a totally different announcement and so being stood down is one thing but going into liquidation is another so what happened next yeah so we all got our uh, stand down letters and then um, two days later we got a um, email from the, uh, the liquidator saying that um, yeah, they've been appointed. Um, our personnel is going into liquidation and further communication will come. And so what does liquidation, just explain for people who don't, who aren't in the thick of this like you are, um, what's the difference between being stood down and when the, and the business being liquidated? So that's basically when the business um, is being liquidated, that means that we've all been let go. So we went from standing down and potentially having a job and um, being paid out our entitlements and your leave while we stood down uh, went to um, everything on hold and it's with um, the department's called FEG. We'll take care of those people who are entitled for FEG and um, the other ones um, in the liquidation letter would see whatever's left after their um, finding would be then given to um, the other employees and suppliers. Right. So, but there was nothing left. So, unfortunately, so, no. So, the people that were owed money, so the FEG is the Federal Entitlements Guarantee. So, people who, um, like permanent residents, is it permanent residents or just Australian citizens? Permanent residents as well. Okay. So, if you're a permanent resident or Australian citizen, the Federal Entitlements Guarantee will pay out your leave. Um, yeah, and your leave, your time in lieu, um, your redundancy payment, and your notice period. Yeah. And the people that weren't entitled to that because they're on temporary visas, they just got a letter from the liquidator telling them how much money they were owed and pretty much like, see you later. It. That was it, yeah. So that's one thing and that's pretty bad. Um, but then, and you know, we would, were in touch quite a bit over that period just scrambling around trying to... Trying to, <laughs> trying to you know, um, get some um, legal advice from Mo 
trying to find uh, jobs, you know, and people to take over the sponsorship. We created with Paige um, the Safe Hospo um, Instagram page where we started um, putting their profiles of the um, visa holders and their skill levels. And if anybody's interested, please reach out to these people. So um, over those three, four weeks at home, it was really everybody just sticking together, calling people. What do you need? Do, you know, do you have still a place to live? Some of these um, student visa um, people didn't have anywhere else and they were then taken up by other employees or, you know, it was, yeah, it was, again, you could see the camera, uh, the, the feeling of everybody being together still in that pandemic and that when we all got let go, everybody was sticking together. I mean, and it's amazing, Christian, because I mean, you had to walk out without your laptop, but you were, you guys are all still in touch on a, like a, a social media messaging group. Um, and I mean, you didn't have to do any of this, but you really stood by the people that had been working for you. Yeah, because of the success of the business and my success was because of them. I could do what I did because I, they had my back and I just couldn't leave them out and go, yep, it's washed off. You know, I'm getting fegged, I'm sorted. Sorry, guys. I just couldn't. There was no way I could do that. So, you know, we heard from Laura uh, on the podcast yesterday, you know, she just kind of got on with stuff. What else could she do? You know, the people on visas scrambled around if they were sponsored as um, Mo was and as Laura was, you know, they really, they had to sort out something pretty quick, smart. Students could try to scramble around for work. Of course, it was a pandemic. It's super, super tough. But people sort of just, you know, did what they could. I know you guys stuck together. We, um, You got back in touch with me in January. Um, tell me why that was. Yeah, we got in touch because um, I got a message from the team saying, Red Spice Road is reopening. They've advertised on Seek. Did you know about that? And um, why haven't we been contacted? Then I actually had to go and look it up myself that the that the jobs were um, posted, and I got a screenshot of um, a Facebook page from John McClay saying we are reopening Red Spice Road. So it, I didn't even get any information that they were reopenings, and was just as surprised as everybody else. And how were people feeling about that? Um, at the beginning, they thought you know oh maybe they're reaching out now. It's just been posted, but then as time went on. And especially Laura's job was um, advertised and um, they didn't, no one really called anyone. No one got contacted. Some of the um, student visas actually applied for um, Red Spice Road, but also didn't get a call back after actually submitting an application to go back. So I imagine that a restaurant with so many moving parts, it would be much easier to open it reopen it with people who already knew how it worked yeah I, I think at that stage it was just more about you know a heads up hey guys we're opening are you interested there might be a little bit of work or you know maybe one day a week until we get it running I think just that communication would have is what made everybody upset that there was none yeah um so and so our personnel was the company that actually paid everyone when they paid people. Our personnel is the company that went into liquidation. The jobs were advertised for um, for the jobs were advertised for Red Spice Road, but the person, the entity advertising those jobs was called Clifton's. Can you just explain where Clifton's fits into everything? 
Uh, so Clifton's is um, a boardroom company that um, Andrew Cameron also is the director of. So they have boardrooms all across the country. And so I guess with our personnel being liquidated, um, uh, it's not able to employ people, but the name Red Spice Road is held elsewhere. Um, so as Andrew Cameron told me, he restructured the, own, the ownership, the way that the company works. He took on a couple of partners um, and is now legally able to reopen the restaurant under the, under the same name, but with a different employment structure. Yeah, that's, I think that still doesn't give any reason to get some of the staff back, though, no matter what the structure was. Like we said, the roles that are advertised, the restaurant manager, the sales manager, the reservations managers, they're all people um, who are still out there. And if they would have got the call, they might have actually came back. I mean, Christian, you're, um, you're a permanent resident and you're, you were the um, group general manager. You'd be a pretty handy person to help Red Spice Road reopen, I would have thought. Yeah, and I, and I had a really good relationship with the owners. So um, I would have thought when they would have reopened um, that they would have just reached out, hey, how are the guys going? You know, um, I did go and help at the George on Collins um, once that closed, and I got as many people from Red Spice Road into there as I could, um, from restaurant manager, bar manager, waiters, supervisors, chefs, um, gave them all roles there to keep them going. Um, yeah, so that the, the the team, if the owners would have called me and said, we're reopening, um, I would have hustled the team back together and go, guys, they're reopening, what do you guys think? And so why do you think they haven't done that? I, I can't answer that. I, I'm, I really don't know why. It's, yeah, it's pretty... It... I just don't understand it. The team were loyal. They were there for over 10 years. They're, you know, there's, there's no reason not to get them back. Mm. Interesting. Um... Do you think that there's, I mean, you've worked for a lot of different companies and a lot of different structures. Do you, do you is this kind of um, complicated structure where the name is owned by one company, the people are paid by another, they're employed by somebody else? Is this a normal kind of structure in hospitality? Not, not in other places that I've worked, no. Hmm. So, Christian, the team is obviously still in touch. Um, how are people feeling at the moment? Um, I think... Um... A lot of people have reached out after the article with Laura and, you know, and they want to tell their story. I think um, I've sent you a few people who want to reach out. They, they feel betrayed and, you know, they've tried to move on. And then the venue reopening and no communication has really brought up a sour taste in them. And they're, and they're disappointed. Well, Christian, we'll definitely stay in touch and I'll look forward to speaking to other people who are involved in this. Um, but, yeah, really congratulations on looking after those people. You know, I know that they would, must all be so grateful to you for sticking by them and um, helping them. I think, you know, one thing that's so clear is that people who are here on temporary visas are so vulnerable when things won't go well. Yeah, and, uh, you know, all the hard work that they've put in and then, you know, like we said, some of them are owed pretty big um, dollars and, yeah, they can't get anything. Yeah, all right, we'll keep on it. Thank you so much, Christian. Um, yeah, really great to have a chat and, uh, yeah, thanks for what you've been doing. No problem. Thank you, Danny.
This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This 